Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Al Gore, here with hair model, Lance Psycho. I need a haircut. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, first thing I want to tell you about is that we have a sweet new 75-inch Dell touchscreen that we're looking at right now. A little bit of a foreshadow. Our, guy, our main man, Jason Buss, is going to show us this new program. But man, is it awesome that it is this huge. Uh, Lance has terrible eyes. I have impeccable eyes, so I have no problem seeing anything. Um, but he's so old uh, that it hurts. It, it's great for clients too. You, you just had some clients and did they mention it? Older gentleman, he said he could see it clear as day, Mr. Al. There we go. So if you're looking to get something like that, go to uh, up. Yep. Go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm. Uh, click your save now, put in your email address. You'll get 5% off. A big purchase like this is totally worth it. Uh, Dell, if you don't know, has a lot of other cool stuff, but you might not know that they have a 75 inch cool touchscreen. They also come in 55 inch, 50, did I tell you? 55, 75, and I think there's an 85. Oh, I think there, there's even more. Wow, go check it out. Are you and your firm still working remotely? Are the logistics of putting together a project daunting when no one is in the same room? Well guys, ArtCat has the solution for you. ArtCat's charrette allow, allows you to manage projects and specification documents online with multiple team members, discuss products, configurations, outline specs, project photos and documents, and more on one page, along with the ability to access product information, specs, CAD, BIM, and the patented spec wizard from anywhere in the world, charrette can help your firm get more done no matter where you are or the rest of your firm are. You can even promote your firm's project when you're done. And like all of ArtCat's solution, they're completely free to use. So check it out at artcat.com forward slash projects. That's artcat.com forward slash projects. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com backslash, for actually forward slash projects. Bam. So next thing we want to go into, we have Jason Buss from our office and he tried out this te test fit um, which is a software program that allows you to basically quickly um, see how many units you can get on a site. So Jason, what's your review of it? How does it work? What do you think the benefits are? Well, TestFit, as it sounds and as you start to explain, you're able to just test your ideas out on a site and see what fits. It's kind of like Legos, but for adults, digital Legos. And it's like the best name ever, TestFit. Yeah. It's it's super self-explanatory. It's not some weird, you know, yeah. Gen Z. What the yeah. hell is that named? Google, Google, like Google's a weird term when it came out. I guess it yes. works now. But yeah, test fit. It's very self-explanatory, um, and it's pretty easy to use. Uh, essentially, what its premise is is that you can sort of lay out your site. You know, you can load Google Earth in, figure out where your site is, roughly how big it is, and then there's a whole bunch of parameters. Question. When you loaded Google Earth in, did you load in an image? Is there an option? Like, how, how easy was that? You type in your address and it pulls it up. Okay. It's super, super easy. So it's just like you go to Google Earth and type in your address and suddenly it takes you to your address. It's like that within TestFit as well. So perfect. So on the left-hand screen, I'm looking at uh, different kind of command prompts. Um, it, it's kind of similar to Revit where you have your project browser things like that. And then there's a huge screen where it's Google Earth and then it's the it's the building that, that Jason put together. Yeah, so um, on the left side is all your different parameters. You can lay out your site. Uh, you have options to put in roads. Uh, you're even able to do some toying with zoning profiles. So you're kind of able to sort of describe how the site is as far as like what type of occupancy can be there, building heights, lot coverage percentages all that kind of stuff um, and then there's a bunch of different like there's like these configurator tools where you can sort of choose if you're 
if your building is going to be kind of like a Texas donut style where you've got parking garage in the middle and uh, units around the outside or if you're doing like a linear shape or whatever kind of stuff, you essentially get all these inputs and it sort of fits what it can on the site parametrically. Is, is there any way, can you like pick another site and just show us? Yeah, I can try to do that. So there's 3D views, which I like. And then now Jason's went to a floor plan. Um, yep, so I've done a floor plan. I have a bunch of manual overrides, so I'm going to get rid of those right now. And uh, on our screen, it went from, you know, sort of a building design that we did have for a project that we've already done. I got rid of my manual overrides and it automatically generates as many units and the appropriate amount of parking per your specifications on the site. So just to let you know, it changed in one press of a button. Wow. So and now gonna... it's radically different. And the cool thing is, is it's automatically giving you outputs as well. And so when you change a number, you can see at the bottom of your screen exactly how many units you have, how many one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom units or studios you have, uh, how much parking it was able to fit on the site, what your parking ratios are, all super helpful for when you're trying to do early planning with the city. Uh, to get that kind of zoning information down. So I know that there's a learning curve behind it, but once you outline the boundary of the property, if you outlined another boundary, could you literally say like maximize site and it would and press a button and it does it? Like if you are trying to change your property boundaries or? No, what? let's pretend this didn't exist. Like mm -hmm. you, you're starting from scratch. You would trace a property boundary, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would say, hey, you can only go 80 feet tall. Give me this kind of unit units. And then you press a button and then it just it does it. Its default is to maximize the site. That's kind of it. Like efficiency is what it's trying to do off the bat. And, uh, you know, it'll kind of auto generate some layouts. It'll, you know, in this example, it's given us a couple different courtyards. Um, and if I don't like that one, you can kind of choose, you can go through, it gives you a couple options and you can scroll through and see wow. which you like best, but it's, it's essentially generating several solutions to what might be able to fit on your site per the parameters that you put in. And it's able to just kind of say, here are a bunch of options and you can sift through and say, I like parts of this one. I like parts of that one. And you know, you can look at plan or 3d view mode. Um, so that's, that's also pretty great. How do you manually, let's manually do it. Like, right. So there's uh, some manual override. So if I wanted to go in, it's given me a layout. Um, and let's say I want, there's kind of like, I've got two squares next to each other. So there's two small courtyards. Let's say I don't want two. I want one larger courtyard. I can go into a manual tool and it kind of shows me its generative layout, sort of uh, the, the outlines essentially of the building. And I'm able to select a section and just say, remove that section, and then hop out of manual mode, and now I have one big courtyard instead of two small courtyards. Gotcha. But you can't from, sorry, you can't from scratch, like, draw a line and say, this is where I want my building? You you can do that. You know, it starts to get into, like, I can, I can start to go into this, and I can move where my parking is. I can go into the manual, move where my parking is, and I can start to delete a bunch of what's there currently and then i can add so if i wanted to add you know my own building line like let's say if i remove a couple of sections i can say i want to put a building on the left it's going to be yeah. you know oh so long now i have a building that is a size that i specified instead of generated and it will make the most efficient unit layout per that size and all you did was draw a line all i did was draw a line and suddenly because of the parameters i have it's now a seven-story building that yeah, go to a 3d view so that yep there's your building units so yeah it's it's really impressive uh powerful software um you're able to get pretty cool printouts from it so when you uh, sort of get the design to where you want it. You can essentially just hit print and it can put it in a PDF. It also can export to a couple different programs. So it can go to Dynamo for Revit. It can go to SketchUp. Uh, I think it can go to CAD as well. And then it essentially you can choose what goes. So like it might show you the rough outline of the building, your site, and then 
the blocking for different apartments and you know it's not generating like floor plans like it's not like here's your front door and where the kitchen would go and here are the bedrooms inside the unit it is it's essentially here's a block for a typical one bedroom sized apartment and you would make a one bedroom apartment within that so it's not doing all the design work for you but it's it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting and it's doing a pass at efficient design that's very difficult to do in Revit because it's so quick at it. You know, it just, when you put in all the parameters, it's looking for efficiency as it's. Yeah. But you, Jason Buss, could yeah. design a one bedroom that's 30 feet by 15 feet. And let's say you had it all, whatever. It could be 32 feet by 17.5. Mm-hmm. And then you could tell this program, I want a 32 feet by 17.5 foot unit. And knowing that you already figured it out and it will place them. Yes. So there is there is a tab where you can go into the sort of configurator database and it will lay out what units it's generated and you can modify those. So you can go in and say, I see that you have three different one bedroom types. I want one one bedroom type and I want it to be this specific size. And it will go and try to as efficiently put those in. You might end up with, you know, some spaces between units that you would then maybe collect at the end and allocate towards your circulation or your hallways or whatever. But yeah, yeah it can do that. I have a question for you, Mr. Bus. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'd like everybody to know Alex and I are sharing a mic and they can call the cops on us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how does it translate into Revit? So like if you, can you export then? And then what does it export as? So it exports as essentially a bunch of outlines and lines. It's mostly line data that but goes is, but out. But is it three, like 3D lines? It is 3D That's lines. Cool. And so it goes into Dynamo. So I figured out how to get it into Dynamo. I haven't yet done the step of getting it into Revit, but I know it is at least in a form of which can import into Revit. And then you have your line work to work off of when you're on your site in Revit. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. How, how do people? How do people get the software? Testfit.io. And you get a free trial, right, through thirty days or something. They are they are not a sponsor. Just saying, we just think it's really it's really, really cool. awesome software. And and one thing I I didn't add before that I'll just add now is you can also dedicate spaces. And so you know most apartment buildings they have sometimes they'll have commercial spaces. Sometimes you'll have amenity areas and stuff like that. And you can say. I want somewhere on the site, you can specify which level I want, you know, maybe 5,000 square feet or 10,000 square feet of amenity space. And it's really easy to drag where that amenity space is around Um, in the site. You can also do things like add void. So in our site that we're looking at, we have some waterways that we have to hop over. So we're looking at, we're looking at some, some voids, you know, on the first floor, which kind of creates like a little bit of a, an arch, you know, shaped building. Um, And so you can do a bunch of cool stuff like that. What I'm going to find interesting because you're going to work on a project, hopefully Monday, I'll, I'll get it. And you already have a concept that I thought was pretty cool. But we're going to look at Jason's concept with the waterways. But then also, I'm going to want a printout of what TestFit said the max was with those waterways. So we can see mm-hmm. how much we're off if we're close. Because it's not always the best idea just to maximize everything because you you get rooms that are unsellable. You get uh, maybe too many different variations within drive up the cost, but it's it's cool to see like oh we were eighty percent efficient you know or yep. whatever it has to be. And it's always good to have contingency. You know, a lot of developers want to push the site to the max, and then you plan on that, and then oh you know they come back and say actually your property line we're going to measure it from here instead of here. Now you have to try and squish your building, and you're always running up against walls. Oh yeah. So it's you know it's it's great to look at you know, what sites are capable of and take that into your design considerations, but, you know, maybe not necessarily follow it verbatim. Cool. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Hey, Lance. Hey, me. Currently heard, this is from a listener, currently heard your Build a Better World podcast. Great stuff. Al, you are awesome. Here's my question for you guys. I may have added that last part. I was going to say, is this verbatim? I don't even have the show notes up yet. Keep going. Yep. He said that. Al's awesome. Uh, What's your company's legal structure? Is there a GC business as a separate entity, or do you handle construction via a construction management service under your architecture firm? In speaking with my insurance broker, it could be a conflict and much higher premium. 
What legal structure do you recommend for architects looking to take on a construction role on their projects? Oh, awesome question. Thank you, Frank, uh, for the question. So thanks again. Great podcast and be well. <laughs> that was actually uh, that was actually he did say that. Yeah. So so the so the first question is what's what's your company's company company company's legal structure? The architecture company that we have that we have is an S corp. And we do that because we did that because there's two partners. And then the way we handle our salaries are, if you've been a long time listener, you know that we pay ourselves much less on a monthly basis than your typical, your typical principal. Um, because then the idea is it allows us to uh, be, have more cash at the end. And so if we're not, if we're not taking that cash at the end and doing stuff like building the first tiny house or doing the development, um, stuff like that, then what we're doing is giving ourselves a cash bonus basically, uh, at the, and then, so that's how, that's how our dividends work. Right. And then you get a K one with that for tax purposes and other large businesses that our owners do the same thing. So even larger businesses than ourselves, the, the owners take average run of a mill salary and then dividends. It's actually better. Um, this is not legal or tax advice, but in our experience, the tax burden is less that way too. But you need to get with your CPA and really figure out how it's going to work for you. But that's the reason why we're an S corp. Then uh, the next question is, is the GC business separate entity, separate entity, hundred percent separate entity, totally different. Um, it's even, it's even different in the sense that it's an LLC. Uh, so it's a limited liability corporation. <clears throat> and we did that for the reasons you already, you already kind of alluded to Frank to keep them separately. So the idea is even when, even for the development, we did a separate company F 12 productions. And the idea was if you have these dominoes stacked up together, you want to set, you want to make it so the domino, if one domino falls, it can't hit the whole section, right? So you're sort of separating them literally by a domino length, if you want to think about it that way, right? Yeah. Like one domino falls, it falls by itself. Yep. And then it won't cascade to the next one rather than stacking them all up next to each other. So I, I just highly recommend doing that. Plus, think about just from an accounting standpoint of how much easier that's oh, going to make, going to make everything, right? Yeah. So, uh, like when we go to order materials now um, for F14, which is the contracting firm, I've got all of my accounts set up like at Home Depot or roofing supplier, all these other places. They've already got our account set up F14 and, th and that's how we operate. Um, our contracts are different too. And then there's a little bit of overlap just in like graphics and stuff. But beyond that, they operate completely separately. So your insurance broker is right. It's too much of a conflict. I wouldn't even recommend going... I know you can do like the design build. You can combine it into one. I wouldn't do that, especially if you're, if you're, if you are actually going to be an architect, you got to separate that whole thing out. Yep. So good question. He has a, he added just one more thing, Lance. Also curious how you got started on the GC side of projects. Not sure if you started off with additions, decks, kitchens, bathrooms, or new homes. I'd love to get in the GC more often. Just not sure which type of project would start off on. Again, thanks for a great show. Say hello to Alex, who is awesome. And keep up the good work. Alex, yes. It's amazing how, how that you said that, Frank, but <laughs> Alex. He compliments <laughs> me a lot. And Frank, I feel like we could be friends. I really do. <laughs> uh, so how did I get into it? Just like everything that we do, um, we, we had to sacrifice profit, time, effort, energy, because, because, because we didn't like work for another, like, let's say an architect or a general contractor for 10 years and then get a big client and then go off on our own. Since everything started from scratch, then we had to do, we had to basically do something on our own first to then prove, to then get all the skills. So we weren't doing it on somebody else's dime, understand the system. And then once we had a product, then we can show it to somebody, a client and say, look, we can do it. And then they have no they have no, they have all the confidence in the world that we can do it. Right. But I think you're glossing over something. What's that? And maybe this is important because I think people might think that it's easier, easy when you say it like that. Lance started construction when he was probably 15, 13, 13, uh, did roofs, did decks, did a whole bunch of different things. Almost Went every out trade. to Montana with your dad, worked on a old house, things like that. Then when, when you got laid off here, Remember your first jobs? You were fixing stairs, 
doing other things like that. So like it's all this construction experience plus with then, oh, now I've done all this architecture experience, right? And then I've done the same things with uh, um, Habitat for Humanity. And then like I've run a lot of heavy equipment in the, arm, uh, in the army, which is hilarious when Lance was telling me that I couldn't run heavy equipment. <laughs> he can't. He doesn't know what he's doing. So he actually broke some concrete and we had to fix it. Was that me? Yes. You hit it with just a skid steer. That's not even heavy equipment. Oh, I did. Light equipment. I did. But it's way less damage. It's way less damage if Lance would have been running it. That's for (laughs) sure. I I broke Alex's truck the other day. You did break my truck. So, Um, so yeah. So there is that background, 100%. I agree. And, and, and I'm not saying you have to do that, but like you asked, should I start out with decks and stuff like that? And we might make it seem like we didn't start out with decks, but. Actually, at my parents' house, I was building. One hundred percent. So, if you have to start out with a deck, start out with a deck. Yep. I think there's no better no better way to do it too than if you do it with your with your own house. So, if you are a single male or female, uh, I, I and I think that's kind of important too because like you don't have a family, right? And I'm just saying like a family is very taxing. It, it should be. It takes up a lot of your time. It takes up a lot of my Alex Alex's time. Like so much time is spent on your kids and your wife or your husband. But if but when I was when I was single before I before I got remarried, I bought my first house, and I spent every dime, every extra dime that I had, and every extra minute fixing it up, and then I flipped it, and then I made a, I made a substantial profit. But even through that, after I had all of my experience, the way I used that to improve myself was a lot of it was like with the plumbing. So when I had to go take the the architecture test for the plumbing part of it. I was li- I would listen to plumbing and heating and ventilation stuff at the same time that I was doing like the plumbing stuff that you can do in a house and that that totally helped too. So 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 it all started from then and then and then how we actually landed let's say our first real contract that we're building right now that's an actual where I'm truly wearing the general contractor hat and we're doing a lot of self performing on this one too because we have this mini construction crew right now is um, we had to do the development so once we have the development, like again, once we once every time we bring a client into this building, um, whether they're existing or, or a new client, and we can just show them like, oh no no we we built this like it. There's never a question if we can or cannot do anything anymore. It is just a hundred percent. And then we can point to the wall too, like I'm looking at the wall in our shop because that's where we record. And I can point to the tiny house. We need we should get a picture of the other two tiny houses. And then I can point to the renderings, the development. I'm like, see, we oh, we, yeah. we, we we do all this stuff. Um, so that that's how we do it. Yep. And then here's how I'll give you one. There's, this is the little extra too, Frank is when, when we, when I decide with the rule of thumb of you got to be, you know, if you're an architecture client and you're within 30 minutes of, of our, our home office in Longmont, if you're within 30 minutes, I will consider your project doing the contracting for it too. And the way I've been able to sell people with that is, I'm the arch- we're already the architects. We know these drawings by hand. We know these drawings by the back of our hand. We, we, we've memorized them. It is, it is, and they really like that they don't have to go shop again for somebody else. Like I'm telling you guys, everybody who's an architect is listening. It is, it is not hard to turn these into construction projects. And remember, general contractors, at least where we're at, are charging between 18 and 24%. That's probably a lot more actually than your architecture fee. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you don't have to be out there swinging a hammer either. Like the house that Al's going to build, I don't think he's going to be doing much self-performing at all. I think it's going to be true management. I'm about 50-50. And the only reason I'm about 50-50 right now, like next week I'll go back in the field with the guys because the week previous to this one, I was in the field with them, teaching them how to put on this metal roof. They'd never done it before. So I walked them through all the little details and got them on autopilot. Then this week they were on autopilot. And, and then most of the systems that you worked with them, by the time they get to my project, they would have already done them. Yep. So like, what's the point of me reteaching something that they just hundred percent? So I'm I'm what I'm what he what Alex is basically saying is I make his job so so easy. much easier, so much easier, <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> so yeah, that's how you do it. But I, I I just you're gonna make more money. You're gonna be happier if you can manage being an architect and a general contractor at the same time. And you could be so picky. Think about like, okay, let's say you do six houses a year. That's it. What if one, what if only, what if three of them fit the criteria of you're within 30 minutes or less? Cause I think you, you don't want to be driving that much. Mm-hmm. You, and plus there's like sometimes literally emergencies. You never know. What if out of those three, then you're like, 
I, but I, I really want to build only this one. And then they agree to your fee. You've added all kinds of extra income to, to your business. Maybe you've even expanded it a little bit because then that allows you to, if you, if you have, if you're wearing half of a general contractor's hat and half of an architect's hat, then you can finally hire that intern, which start, you should, which you should to start replacing yourself. Yep. And then you could do the same thing for like, oh, now in my second house, I can hire that foreman and you just keep growing both of those roots. Yeah. So. Cool. Next go. question. This is now I get to ask you, right, Al? Yep. Okay. Question. Can I name who it is? Yeah. Okay, good. Question two from Kyle Rogler, president of Blue Dot Design and Build, Inc. What books or podcasts have you been reading or listening for inspiration? Okay, I'll do books first. Okay. Number one, Empire of the Summer Moon. It's about um, the Comanches uh, in America, and it is amazing because you will realize a couple things. One, how like raw life was back in the day, uh, and w- how their decision-making processes. Everyone from is this the, with the, another Native American. It's book? the first one nice. with all the awesome stories. Okay. So how raw life really can be is is mind opening and then the second one is maybe you should stop complaining about stuff <laughs> because you aren't living in 1726 and you aren't a native american or a soldier or a buffalo soldier or a regular soldier going out there literally a century ago we were not as civilized as everybody thinks we were oh, terrible yeah terrible that's one really awesome and then for a more modern one if you don't want to you know go back in time it's can't hurt me by david goggins this book is so good it scared lance that's oh, it. is this is this is this the uh, is this the African American fella who's the Marine? Right? Uh, Navy Seal. Navy Seal. Navy Seal. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Yep. A great story about he his scared life. He scares me. It's not scary. Lance is just, <laughs> you know, he's Lance. He, you've listened to him, so you know. So <laughs> he's got the best hair. Yeah, it's shaved. So clearly, if he's got the best hair, then you know he's this pansy. It, it's awesome. Um, and then for podcasts, I would suggest Story Brand. Oh yeah. Go listen to Story Brand. It's not the. It's I know. I know it's not Eccles, but yeah, yep. I know which one you're talking about. Um, and start with 191. Uh, Bruce Deal. Find your purpose by taking more risk. I sent that to you. I don't know if you've listened to it. It was about the the church leader that made a. No, I need. I, it's on my list this weekend. Yep. Great idea. I've great been finishing podcast. the Fountainhead. Yep. Nice. So there you go. There you go. Okay, number two. What has been the biggest surprise or adjustment? Ooh, let me. I cut it off my screen. What has been the biggest surprise or adjustment you have encountered so far in transitioning from an architecture to an architecture slash construction firm? Uh, I'll say some, and then I'll let, I'll let Lance kind of chime in. Um, the biggest adjustment is like how much mistakes cost. Okay. You know what I mean? Like how much, hey, you repeatedly shot in staples oh, into God. ac lines oh, God. and then also like oh you said you were going to come on this time but you didn't come and then you came for two hours taped up everything and walked away like the, the labor the labor issues are intense that's what i'd say my biggest this is lance now my big the the biggest adjustment which I would say is not a. I think you described it as surprise. The adjustment I think is, is getting the systems, basically building another company, and getting all the systems in place for that. Uh, and there's a there's a question later on. The, the question three that Alex is going to ask me from, uh, not Kyle but uh, a different gentleman named Adam Steiner next, is as it relates to like uh, how to figure out how much stuff is going to cost for uh, a construction or an architecture project. That is like I, now I've I've been, I've been working really hard to set up this uh, spreadsheet that allows us to then plug in one or two numbers based off the past precedents of other projects to ins- just about instantly give people a working budget to start with for their construction project. Mm-hmm. So there's that set literally just stupid stuff like setting up the project folder. So if I go in our pro- if I go into our project folder for construction now, it is much different than the architecture projects because. Because there's, you know, bids are one different thing, the draws, um, who's, who's going in and out. Uh, and then 
relaying all of that information and and now trying to capture those clients that's a the sales are much different than an architecture client sales uh, so that that's been good but I really like that adjustment adjustment because as I've been walking around this week and as as the barn the barn dominium has been going really well actually Bill and Sam are doing a great job um, with the craftsmanship of that project is uh, it's just exciting to build another company. Like I, I, when we say we're serial entrepreneurs, like it, it's real, it's a real drive. Um, I don't know. It's exciting. Like I, I was even telling uh, one of our employees who we just had his year review and uh, went really well. And I was, he, you know, he asked us like, well, where do you see F14? I'm like, well, the idea, ideally F14 is, is just as profitable as F9 in, in one to three years. And we make that happen. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, last one for Al. What is your favorite Colorado brew? Wine or spirit? Bud Light. You're lying. <laughs> it is. It is. But to to be fair to Al, we, we toured uh, the Budweiser plant long, long time ago, before Al had kids. Yeah. Uh, before I think he was even dating, and they give you the freshest, freshest Budweiser, like not out. Bud Light. Yep. But the reason why I'm saying Budweiser is because it was so fresh and so good, it tasted like Bud Light. Well, do you remember how good it was? It was surprisingly <laughs> extremely delicious. Yeah. Um, you, it, there's a difference between it just comes right out of the, the tap. F- yeah. Yep. Uh, Wibby. Wibby in Longmont. Come check it out if you're ever in Longmont, Colorado. That's it, the place to go. They're super good. Okay. Question for Lance. Lance, I have another question for the podcast. What's it like working with Dream Man Al Gore? <laughs> also, when designing custom homes. Adam Steiner did not say that. <laughs> when designing custom homes, what's one of the biggest struggles I see is budget. Homeowners designs their dream homes, gets bids, they get bids back, and they're all over their budget. What strategy do you employ to help clients hit their number? The, Thanks, as always. Love, keep up the hard work. Thank you, Adam. So, so, so yeah, I already alluded to the answer to this. My answer, anyway. What we used to do, and I, I, we still kind of do it. Um, I think I think you have to, depending on what region you're building in, know what what does a house like this typically cost to build on a per square per square foot basis. Like, so that's what we uh, that that that's a that's like the roughest way of estimating it, right? So let's just say it's two hundred dollars a square foot. You're going to build a two thousand square foot house. You could just I could roughly tell somebody you're looking at like four hundred k to start. Something like that. Uh, but now I've developed this spreadsheet. I'm not going to share it with anybody because I, I feel like it's proprietary. Sure. <laughs> this is one of the only things I probably won't share. Uh, and then also people have asked for our contract too, but I won't do that either. Is I've got this awesome spreadsheet. And it's it lists out all of the different things that go into, let's say, a house or an addition. Foundation framing, kitchen, all, all of that, right? Line item by line item. And then what it does is it's got, based on past projects that we've built, uh, so the development, the barn that we're currently doing, and then, and then I, and then I cross-reference it with the NAHB, National Association of Home Builders, because they, they show you what percentage stuff should typically cost. Like foundation is like 13 to 15%. Framing it matches that. It, it's really close. Uh, MEP each should be 5%, stuff like that. So... I, so in the spreadsheet, then what I can do is, I, uh, I, I, I t- at about mid design development, so halfway through the architectural design of a project. Coincidentally, too, all of the homeowners or people who are wanting to build homes, that's about when they start asking, "What is this going to cost?" Because I, maybe one one gentleman who might build his house in Denver, he says, you know, he was like, well, I just don't know if I want to go any further in the design process because is this going to break my budget? So in so once we get about halfway through the design development, then I have uh, who's ever working with me, one of our project managers, I tell them, like, I need you to get all the foundation basically in there. And then because we have two uh, schedules that I've already pre-made in Revit, it will do the automatic takeoffs for the footings and the the uh, foot foundation footings and the foundation walls. It'll give me the cubic yard cubic feet of each of those. Then I have to translate it to cubic yards real quick, uh, just on Google. If you just type in cubic yard cubic feet to cubic yards, you can do it. I know in Colorado, our subcontractor charges about seven hundred dollars a cubic yard to pour it. I can take that, and I know that typically 
is in the and I think in the spreadsheet I have set up it's like 13% of building cost is going to be in the foundation and the excavation. And so I can then there's this calculator um, online where it'll say like you can say uh, this number equals 13% of the overall number, right? So it's like that it's like that weird tricky reverse equation, but there's a calculator online that allows me to do that. So then I can I can plug I can once I plug in okay seven hundred you know let's say it's um, hundred yards of concrete so times seven hundred is seventy thousand dollars if I know that that seventy thousand dollars is thirteen percent of my overall budget I can plug that because what you do is you say the seven seventy thousand is equivalent to thirteen percent it'll spit out the overall number then I can plug that into my overall number. And all of my percentages will just automatically fill in the rest. And I can, within, it. the last time I did this, which was last week for the Denver client, it took me about 15 to, 15 to 30 minutes to get that get that number in there. And then I had a working budget for them to show them that. So so that's, I'd say, the level two of getting them there. And I don't know how, how much faster you could be with that. The only added component that I would, the only thing I have on my wish list now is, and I don't know if it's too late for Alex to do this with a house that they're going to build is that I really want to find a service that will do all the takeoffs for me because mm. it's just, it's just too tedious. Like it would be so much more worth my time to just pay a company. I'm just throwing it out there. $250. If I could pay a company $250 to do the takeoffs for me and they give me a whole sheet and then I can send that off to my suppliers, that would be like the next, that would be the way to level up one more time to show, to show the difference between those, because there's, I know what it's going to cost for, uh, I know what's going to cost for, for concrete. That's super easy, but all the other stuff, if I could be a little bit more accurate with that, I think that would be helpful. Maybe so, there is a company. I don't know. I know there is. I just haven't, I just want somebody to email me and uh, say, well, I know that someone, I mean, someone will do it for $2,000, but, uh, 250. Yeah. There's gotta be some company that does it. Now you're talking. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's transition to our new guest. It's uh, everyone welcome, Lance Howard Roar Psycho. <laughs> uh, okay, we're so this this segment was supposed to be. I was supposed to be done reading the Fountainhead. Mm. I have fourteen hours left. If you everybody every architect should read this this book. Um, I know a lot of people didn't in college. It is thirty two hours long total. So I have managed to shave off. Uh, 18 hours so far and tomorrow I will finish it as I'm driving up to Wyoming and back dropping my kids off at grandma's um, and then next week I'm going to tell you all about I'm going to break down the fountainhead for you and like it's never been broken and why before. I think there needs to be an updated version of it and I would challenge somebody to write it so that's it okay cool yeah, looking forward to it yeah. so should we listen to our best friend instead we should here's Nick with Nick Reed's Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. Thousands of years ago, the first man discovered how to make fire. He was probably burned at the stake he taught his brothers to light, but he left them with a gift they had not conceived, and he lifted darkness off the earth. Throughout the centuries, there were men who took first steps down new roads armed with nothing but their own vision. The great creators, the thinkers, the artists, the scientists, the inventors, stood alone against the men of their time. Every new thought was opposed. Every new invention was denounced. But the men of unborrowed vision went ahead. They fought, they suffered, and they paid. But they won. No creator was prompted by the desire to please his brothers. His brothers hated the gift he offered. His truth was his only motive. His work was his only goal. His work, not those who use it. His creation, not the benefits others derive from it. The creation which gave form to his truth. He held his truth above all things and against all men. He went ahead whether others agreed with him or not, with his integrity as his only banner. He served nothing and no one. He lived for himself. And only by living for himself was he able to achieve the things which are the glory of mankind. Such is the nature of achievement. 
Man cannot survive except through his mind. He comes on earth unarmed. His brain is his only weapon. But the mind is an attribute of the individual. There is no such thing as a collective brain. The man who thinks must think and act on his own. The reasoning mind cannot work under any other form of compulsion. It cannot be subordinated to the needs, opinions, or wishes of others. It is not an object of sacrifice. The Creator stands on His own judgment. The parasite follows the opinion of others. The Creator thinks. The parasite copies. The Creator produces. The parasite loots. The Creator's concern is the conquest of nature. The parasite's concern is the conquest of men. The Creator requires independence. He neither serves nor rules. He deals with men by free exchange and voluntary choice. The parasite seeks power. He wants to bind all men together in common action and common slavery. He claims that man is only a tool for the use of others, that he must think and act as they think, and live in selfless, joyless servitude to any need but his own. Look at history. Everything we have, every great achievement, has come from the independent work of some independent mind. Every horror and destruction came from the attempts to force men into a herd of brainless, soulless robots, without personal rights, without personal ambition, without will, hope, or dignity. It is an ancient conflict. It has another name. The individual against the collective. Our country, the noblest country in the history of men, was based on the principle of individualism, the principle of a man's inalienable rights. It was a country where a man was free to seek his own happiness, to gain and produce, not to give up and renounce, to prosper, not to starve, to achieve, not to plunder, to hold at his highest possession a sense of his own personal value and as his highest virtue, his self-respect. Look at the results. That is what the collectivists are now asking you to destroy, as much of the earth has been destroyed. I'm an architect. I know what is to come by the principles on which it is built. We are approaching a world in which I cannot permit myself to live. My ideas are my property. They were taken from me by force, by breach of contract, no appeal was left to me. It was believed that my work belonged to others, to do with as they pleased. They had a claim upon me without my consent, that it was my duty to serve them without choice or reward. Now you know why I dynamited Cortland. I designed Cortland. I made it possible. I destroyed it. I agreed to design it for the purpose of seeing built as I wished. That was the price I set for my work. I was not paid. My building was disfigured at the whim of others, who took all the benefits of my work and gave me nothing in return. I came here to say that I do not recognize anyone's right to one minute of my life, nor to any part of my energy, nor to any achievement of mine, no matter who makes the claim. It had to be said, the world is per perishing from an orgy of self-sacrificing. I came here to be heard, in the name of every man of independence still left in the world. I wanted to state my terms. I do not care to work or live on any others. My terms are, a man's right to exist for his own sake. Howard Rourke's Speech to the Jury, from Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Toodles! Toodles indeed. Toodles so I indeed. Guess, I Spoiler guess. alert, he did lose the trial. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to pay for the, for the changing of the temple. So did, did, Do you remember did, he that part? Get, did he not get paid for his architectural services? No, no, he got paid. I thought he said, I didn't get paid for my services. You know, the, when you... You have to inform us next week. 
They Unless I'm missing a trial because I've already I just got through the trial. Yeah. And he lost. Yeah. Do you remember this part where he so like he's commissioned he's commissioned to make the it's a temple for religion. So for like all religions and the importance that it the you know that's largely a foundation of like great societies, right? Yeah. So he makes the temple and it's it's like one of the best buildings ever or whatever, best. but then they don't allow it to be opened. Because because the owner doesn't right, but he, then he loses the trial and he has to pay he uh, he has to pay back the guy who hired him to fix it. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was an apartment. So it was a temple that he blew up instead of an apartment. Oh, I don't see. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Is I don't. If he's talking about what he blew up, then I must exactly. have, then I must have missed that part. No, I think it's still in the twelve hours that you have left to go. So he's gonna go back to trial. Oof. You'll have to tell. You'll have to let us know. It's tough. No, we'll have our full take on it next week. Exactly. Yeah. But thank. But, you, but thank you for that, Nick. And the individual matters. How about that? Here's the lesson: the individual matters more than the the individual is the smallest minority of all, and is always more important than I think the collective. The collective can be just a horde. And it can destroy the individual, and that's not fair. Okay, sure. So, Speaking of being an individual, you yeah. want to be one that's good at Revit. To do so, go to RevitRocketShip.com. It's where yours truly <laughs> teaches you uh, Revit, our, our system that we teach our staff. We teach university students. We teach other professionals. We give you the template that uh, we created. A whole bunch of cool stuff. Go check it out, RevitRocketShip.com. You know what it's time for? What? Did I miss something? Oh, yeah, ARE Jeopardy. Oh, this guy look at even, that. This guy didn't even know we're doing that. Yeah. Here we go. Number one, how is a type of construction classified and determined? A, according to the degree of fire resistance. B, by the fire zone in which it is located and intended use. C, influences of height floor area, and materials, or D, all of the above? I love those questions. Oh, it's very A-R-E. Yeah. Very A-R-E Jeopardy. The question was, how you want the answers to, Gresh? Uh, question is, how is a type of construction classified and determined? Is it A, according to the degree of fire resistance? B, by the fire zone in which it is located and intended use? C, influences of height, Floor area and materials. D, all of the above. Doodaloo. Which one Doodaloo. is it, gentlemen? We got A, C, C, D. I believe. D. Marky Mark. By the fire zone in which it is located? I don't even know. Gotcha. All right. I next guess. question. I guess. Yep, I guess. Type of construction. Uh, okay, number two, an active drainage system, including a sump pump, will be required if a building extends below what? How what? A, floodplain, B, water table, C, below any ground at all, or D, an underground river. What do we got? We have, got we have A... B A C. We got everything. Correct answer is B. Water table. There you go. The rest is all fake news. All right. Question three. Who enforces the American Disabilities Act? A. The federal government. B. The permitting agency. C. The building inspector. D. Anyone who files a discrimination complaint. We have A-A-C-D. It is D. Thank it you. It is just anyone who files a discrimination complaint. This is what the Department of Transportation is Right, but they aren't. Department of Transportation isn't coming out and enforcing. It's basically someone who comes and complains, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Number four. Question number four. What is the single best way to reduce reliance on an HVAC system and reduce energy consumption. Is it A, orientation of the building, B, passive systems, C, 
providing appropriate building assemblies. D, turning off the HVAC system. Oh, this is a good one. I want to answer this one. Okay, A, orientation of the building. B, passive systems. C, providing appropriate business assemblies. Or D, turning off the HVAC system. Let me qualify. What is the single best way that the test says to reduce the HVAC system and reduce energy consumption? Okay. B, A, C, A. The correct answer is C, providing appropriate building assemblies. I would have I picked D. Shut it off. <laughs> Turn it Shut off. Shut it off. So what's the count? What's the count? <laughs> Three, one, zero, Goose zero. Eggs. Mark Pedler wins. No tiebreaker again. Fantastic. Mark gets a pick lunch. Can you pick Kadiva? Good stuff. That's it for me. That's all we got for this week. Al is going down to La Junta, Colorado. Is it La Junta? It's not La Junta? La Junta, De La Junta, Colorado, uh, on Sunday to interview Jim Cantrell, the co-founder, one of the co-founders of SpaceX. We're really excited about it, so see you Monday morning coffee for that. <laughs>